Good morning. We've been working our way through the Ten Commitments, and we're at the ones where it focuses on good. Good is ahead of you, and good is guaranteed to you. And when we think of it, if you want to put a picture of it, picture you connected to God, who is connected to good. You, God, good. If you're connected to God, and God is connected to good, then you're connected to good. But then there's a question. But what about sin? Doesn't sin separate us from God and therefore separate us from good? The Bible says so. It says in Isaiah 59, 2, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Sin separates us from God. At least it did under the old covenant. The new covenant completely changes that. Um, The provision in what it says in the new covenant says, God speaking, I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. That's what it says in the New Covenant. God says, I will forgive their wickedness, and will remember their sin no more. The, what it literally says, I will be, and then it gives a Greek word, helios. God says, I will be helios to your unrighteousnesses and will remember your sins no more. What does helios mean? It's describing how God responds when we sin, how he reacts. And God says, I'm going to be helios. Helios means to be gracious, cheerful, benevolent, and favorable. So what it says as the new covenant is God says, I will be gracious, benevolent, favorable, cheerful, merciful to your unrighteousnesses and will remember your sin no more because sin cannot separate us from God under the new covenant. That means we are connected to God and God is connected to good and under the new covenant that cannot be separated by sin, which means... Good is guaranteed to you. Good is guaranteed. Um, we just look at a couple of things. Sin takes away good in the Bible. But we also see in the Bible that God takes away sin. In Romans chapter 6, verse 20, here's what it says. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you receive at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? It talks about being slaves to sin. In the Bible, what's important to understand, sin is sometimes an act. But when Paul describes it here, listen to what he says. When you were slaves to sin. And the way he sees sin, sin is not just something we do. It's not just an act. It is a power. It is like a slave owner or a master who influences us. Um, 
sin forcibly controls and leads those it enslaves to a not good place. So if sin is your master, that's not a good thing. Because sin's going to lead you into a bad place. It doesn't just mean you'll do bad things. It means sin is going to direct the course of your life, and it's going to end up in a bad place. So here's a question. I want you to think of somebody enslaved to sin. Again, not just that they do sinful actions, but they are under the control of sin as the master. Somebody who is enslaved to sin, what does that person need? Just think about that. What does a person need who has sin as their master? Would you agree with me? They need another master. They need to go from being mastered by sin to being in a relationship to somebody who's not going to push them in the direction of dying, it's, but somebody who's interested in their life. Um, somebody who's under the dominion of sin needs a new master. They need to be saved. This is why we need to be saved, so that we can have God as master rather than having sin as master. I found a definition once. It says people need to be saved when dot, dot, dot. Let me tell you when people need to be saved. The Bible talks about we need to be saved. God saves us. Saved from what? What does salvation mean? People need to be saved when through their own fault or through some superior power, they come under the control of someone else. So, People need to be saved when they come under the control of someone with superior power. And being thus controlled, they have lost their freedom to implement their will and decisions. Somebody needs to be saved when they have come under the control of someone else. And that person's control doesn't allow the person being controlled to do what they want. If you're under the control of a master, you need to do what the master wants. And what the definition would say, in that case, you need to be saved. It also, people need to be saved when your own resources are inadequate to free you. You're not powerful enough to get free. Therefore, you can only gain your freedom by the intervention of a third party. I want you to know that's the way to think of Jesus. What Jesus comes to do, we are under the dominion. We are mastered by sin. We can't get out. We can't do what we want to do. Jesus comes then to intervene and to rescue us from being mastered by sin as a power so that we can have God as our master. The good news is that whereas sin takes away good, God takes away sin, and he forgives sin. This is a story, a parable. Let me read it to you from Matthew 18. Jesus described what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. 
The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. This story gives a picture of what it means to be forgiven. To be forgiven means that the debt is canceled. This man owed the king a lot of money. The amount of the debt was staggering. Take the gross national product of Israel as a nation at the time and multiply it by 10. That's how much this individual owed the king. And the king's representatives called the man in. Since he was not able to pay, it says the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt, basically to go into slavery. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay, I will pay back everything. That's not a real, a real realistic proposal. And that day, you made a denarii a day. And so if this guy was going to pay back the debt, paying a denarii a day, it would take him 10,000 years to repay the debt. Not a very realistic proposal. Uh, but the king's representative then did the unthinkable. He took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. He walked away from the audit without any debt at all. The debt had been canceled. Acting on behalf of the king, the king's representative pulled up the man's debt on the screen, clicked select all, and pressed delete. And it was done. Uh, this is what forgiveness means. The debt is canceled. The amount that you owe, it doesn't exist. Um, the representative didn't take money out of the national coffers to cover the debt. He didn't do that. He didn't restructure the debt. He didn't send the debt to a collection company. He just canceled it. There is a line in the Lord's Prayer that we hear. It's, it's kind of you hear it said different ways. Uh, Forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our debts. Which one is authentic? Actually, both are biblical. Luke records trespasses. It's Matthew, the tax collector, the former tax collector, who records Jesus saying, forgive us our debts. The same words used to describe what the king's representatives did. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. 
Forgive us our debts, literally, cancel our debts. Do what the king's representatives did in the story, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's get back to this guy whose debt is canceled. He walks away from the audit, sees a man who owed him a couple months' worth of wages and had the guy thrown in prison. This didn't sit well with the king's representative. Your wicked servant, he said, I canceled all this debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy? What was, the, what was this guy's problem? His debt was canceled. But it was only canceled on paper. In his mind, he really hadn't registered what happened. He hadn't had time to think. My debt's canceled. And what he ended up doing is going out and holding somebody else accountable. The deal is this. Good news can only benefit us if we believe it. I'll say that again. And it's especially relevant in terms of having your debt canceled. Good news only benefits us if we believe it. If we understand it, and really believe that it's so. God wants us to believe that because he is Helios to our unrighteousnesses, that he remembers our sin no more and that good is guaranteed to us. How does God forgive our debt? Really quickly. Um, it says this in Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. When it, how God canceled our debt, it says he canceled the written code which is that list of things that we owe God, the obediences that we owe, and our track record in doing what he wants. He took that list, pushed select all, and then pushed for you, 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 he pushed delete. What he did, he canceled the law and crucified the law. When Jesus was on the cross, he died so that the law would die and that he could inaugurate a new covenant, one which says, I will be Helios to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more. That's the new covenant. And Jesus nailed the old covenant to the cross so that it is no longer relevant. So here's the deal. Paul says, when God takes away law, if he removes the law from being over you, here's what he says in Romans 4.14, where there is no law, there is no transgression. If there is not a standard that God is judging you by, then it's not true that you can step over a line and you can transgress. If the law does not exist in God's mind as he looks toward you, then transgression doesn't exist. It says in Romans 5, sin is not taken into account when there is no law. If the old covenant law is not over your head, here's the question, is God keeping track of your sin? Sin is not taken into account when there is no law. It's almost like being under the new covenant, we have diplomatic immunity. 
We can't be prosecuted. That doesn't mean that we do whatever we want, but God is not going to charge us with sinning because he has removed the law as the basis for that. What does this mean? I'll give you an illustration. Let's say you get charged with tax evasion and you try to beat that and you end up doing something that's not really smart. You run away to Iran. So let's say you go to Iran and that you are now governed by Islam, by Iranian Islamic law. And let's say you do something there that, that causes you to be sentenced to death under Islamic law. And then you're waiting for that sentence to be commuted or you're waiting to be executed, actually. And you hear voices. There's a ruckus. You're in prison and you hear voices and they're American. And you listen, and then there's, there's all kinds of stuff, and there's activity, and then Americans break into the cell. Depending on what they carry, they're carrying in their hands, you would be either in really good shape or maybe not. If they're carrying adding machines in their hands, you're probably not in good shape. You know, they're going to they're try to get their money out of you before you are executed. But if they're carrying assault rifles... That's a different deal. What's going to happen? If they're carrying assault rifles, and if they have come to do something that doesn't make... Well, anyways, you know what they... Let's say they come to overthrow the government. So Islamic law is no longer in effect because they have removed Islamic law and put their law... Now, if Islamic law is no longer over your head... Are you going to die? No. It's not because they didn't pay a ransom. They removed the law. And if Islamic law is gone, your crime is gone, right? That's the way we're to understand what Jesus did. When Jesus came and died on the cross, did he pay a ransom? Did he pay somebody off? Think about Israel. When Israel was taken out of slavery from Egypt, did God pay anybody off? Did he negotiate with anybody? But no, he didn't. He just took action. And that's the way we're to understand. When God forgives, he doesn't need to pay anyone off. He selects your debt, presses Select all and presses delete. That's what Jesus did. He took away the old covenant and installed the new. Oh, here's the question. If you believe that, what would it mean? That God is not keeping track of your sin. Would that mean you can do whatever you want? Tricky question. Um, If you really understood it, you would understand that sin cannot sever you from God and from good. Under the new covenant, you are connected to God, and sin can't separate you. And God is connected to good. You, God, good. Bulletproof under the new covenant. What would happen if you believed it? I think you would enter God's rest. You would love God more. You'd love others more. That's... Oh, it seems to do. Let's get back to the guy. Remember the guy who had his debt canceled, went out and 
took somebody and had him thrown in prison. Let's, let's go back to that guy. Let's say we're able to, to kind of talk to him and sit him down before he rushes out. And we're able to sit him down. And he's kind of, he just can't, he's kind of, he doesn't really understand what happened. And say we have a discussion with him. Before you leave, I just want you to know, let's think about what just happened. Your debt was just canceled. You know that debt that you could never repay? That you've been thinking of and you've been, they've been threatening to sell your family and your kids? I want you to think about what just happened. That debt no longer exists. You no longer have to think about your family being sold into slavery. It's all gone. The phone calls, the people coming barging at your door, it's all gone. Your debt is canceled. Canceled. Your debt is canceled. Your debt is canceled. Not restructured. Your debt is canceled. Canceled. It's gone. Erased. You don't know anything. You are connected to God. Yeah, that's... That's good news. Good news can only benefit you if you believe it. Believe it and enter God's rest. Believe what? That good is ahead of you. And good is guaranteed to you because your debt has been canceled. And sin cannot separate you from God and from good. And that's what God wants us to believe. And as we believe it, it causes us gradually to become more Christ-like. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for good news that you have come. Sin takes us away from good, but you have come to take away sin. You nailed it to the cross. And sin is not taken into account where there is no law. And apart from law, there is no transgression. So sin doesn't disconnect us from you under the new covenant. It's confusing because the Bible says different things, but it's pretty clear about why Jesus came. So that our debt could be canceled. And I'd ask that we would slowly, over time, that that would sink into our minds. That we would register what it means that we would live in the security that it provides, that we are connected to you and you are good and we're connected to good. Life doesn't seem good. Things are hard. It doesn't go our way. We are going to end up in a good place because we're connected to you and you are good and sin can't disconnect us. Thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.